Hi, welcome to this Physicians Weekly's podcast. My name is Dr. Rachel Giles. I'm your host for this podcast. And today we've got some great interviews as usual. This is Physicians Weekly. Today's episode is episode 113. And today we're going to talk about the maternal mortality crisis in the United States. This week features an in-depth interview by Physicians Weekly's board member, Dr. Alex McDonald, with Dr. Riley Beeler, an OBGYN fellow at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Beeler was a government relations and advocacy fellow at the AMA in 2020 and 2021, where she fought for access to Medicaid for up to 12 months postpartum. And she was most recently an AMA medical students chair in 2022 and 2023. This discussion takes place in the backdrop of a new study in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which reveals significant increases in pregnancy-related deaths across the United States, with disproportionate losses among Black Native American and Alaska Native people. Results revealed a stark spike in maternal mortality rates, with pregnancy-related deaths more than doubling among all racial and ethnic groups across the U.S. over the last 20 years. Unfortunately, worsening healthcare for people of color, a trend typically regulated to southern states, is expanding. According to this study, New York and New Jersey saw an increase in Black and Latina deaths, while more Asian mothers died in Wyoming and Montana. So Dr. Beeler gives some great insights into the problems at hand and offers some practical solutions for all of us to use. Enjoy listening. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening today from wherever you may be. I'm really excited for our guest today. Dr. Riley Beeler is an OBGYN resident at University of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Although, full disclosure, I did some of my training at Duke, so I don't know if that means we can still be friends or not. But anyway, I digress. And we're going to be talking about a really important issue today, that being maternal health and particularly maternal mortality. So this is a hot topic. It's kind of a, a hidden public health crisis, I think, in many ways. A lot of people are not aware of some of the maternity deserts we have in this country and just kind of the alarming statistics uh, regarding maternal morbidity and mortality in this country in this day and age. So I will not steal Dr. Beeler's thunder though. So before we start, I want her to introduce herself. So Dr. Beeler, tell us, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Dr. McDonald. Uh, I'm honored to be here. My name is Riley Beeler. I am a current OBGYN, first-year resident in North Carolina. Although you went to Duke, you can still be friends. Uh, okay, good. How are you? Basketball and football rivalry is pretty tough, but we'll make it. I've been honored to serve the people of North Carolina and addressing their reproductive needs in this role. But prior to this, uh, when I was in medical school, I had the opportunity to work in advocacy in D.C. and spent a lot of time working on this issue actually related to maternal mortality and other reproductive health access, especially with the limitations of COVID-19. And we were actually successfully able to improve access to Medicaid coverage up to 12 months postpartum. So amazing waves moving forward in that area and happy to be a part of it. Wonderful. That's amazing work. And thanks for all you've done. And I'm sure this is only the very beginning of a very long and illustrious career. So I'm excited to to continue to to stay connected and see what else you do in this area. So tell us a little about the state of maternity care and, and more specifically maternal morbidity and mortality in the United States today. It's kind of it's kind of shocking. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be kind of surprised. Here in the United States, we are in need of quite some help. I think the best 
way to really talk about issues in particular maternal morbidity and mortality is both in a quantitative context with numbers and statistics, but also looking at the qualitative information, how this impacts our patients' daily lives, their the families. So the CDC actually published their most recent statistical report in 2022 showing rates of death in pregnant and recently delivered mothers. And that actually showed that it rose to 32.9 deaths per 100,000 births. What does that mean? Well, when you put it in context, it is compared to a rate, and that was in uh, 2022. This is compared to a rate of 23.8 per 100,000 births in 2020 and then 20.1 deaths per 100,000 births in 2019, respectfully. So if you see, we are significantly jumping up in maternal deaths in our country each year. And as technology grows and we're getting more information, it's very unfortunate that we're continuing to see this rising number. What's even more surprising or more disheartening, so to speak, is that a majority of these deaths are actually preventable. In 2022, the CDC additionally reviewed a host of data from maternal mortality and morbidity review committees uh, across 40 states in the United States. So what are these committees? Because for the average person, you don't even know that these committees exist. They're actually committees from members of multiple disciplines, medicine, government, et cetera, multiple disciplines within medicine that actually are purpose to meet throughout the year to review maternal deaths and incidences of pregnancy complications within a geographic area. These groups work either at a state or local level to review deaths that occur within one year of pregnancy. And the most recent data they've collected over these 40 states are that a staggering 84% of pregnancy-related deaths are deemed preventable. Wow. There's not even words to describe how sad it makes me that we could we could be better serving our community and be better serving our patients. But yeah, I, I mean, this is just when I learned about this. I mean, this is not something that we're taught or really commented on in the lay press or even within you know those of us that are not involved with maternal care. Um, at practicing family medicine myself, I no longer do maternal care. Some of my colleagues still do obstetrics uh, as part of their family medicine practice, and they were actually they were ta- telling me about this, and it was kind of mind boggling. How is it possible at this day and age in this country that we have increasing rates of maternal mortality? I guess, how is that possible? And and then also the other question I have is how does that compare to other nations around the world and other developed nations more specifically, which is a better probably comparison of countries with more medical resources, for lack of a better term? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we think of maternal morbidity and mortality, because right now we're touching on mortality. Mm-hmm. However, only a small piece of the pie, we see that morbidity is actually something that additionally impacts families, which According to our American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, they note that for every single pregnancy-related death, that there is about 70 severe maternal morbidity events or unexpected outcomes in labor and delivery that results in significant either short-term or long-term health consequences to our patients. So, you know, like we talked about, 
these deaths are rising, but we're also seeing these short-term and long-term health impacts that are rising. And uh, this is something that's, I think, a significant portion that we don't necessarily think about because our patients are still living, but their families, the health system, they are still impacted. In terms of how this is still happening, it's, it's kind of a sneaky hidden health crisis. You hear of another health crisis, but this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. We are the only developed nation, so to speak, that continues to have increasing rates of maternal mortality and morbidity and at a time infant mortality. Mm-hmm. And it's a multifactorial complex issue. You have people saying, okay, well, we need to end maternal morbidity and mortality. Well, there are multiple different factors and levels that exist to this issue. One is related to systemic racism in our country. We'll talk about this later, but the data is not equal and doesn't impact each person equally. Uh Some populations are significantly more harmed by this issue than others. We see significant social structure issues uh, related to access to care, uh, weathering of patients. Mm-hmm. When we think about preventability, we think of, okay, what are we missing here? Patients feeling listened to, uh, access to actual obstetric provider, whether it be uh, a midwife versus an obstetrician or a place to give birth. A majority of these preventable death and morbid events actually occur within the first year after delivery. So from that postpartum period, which is still considered a part of the pregnancy. And so we have to think about where are we missing here in seeing our patients or having these patients access care during this period because we do see a drop off in patients being able to attend their postpartum visits or access care in this period after pregnancy. Uh, So it's a big challenge. Yeah. And uh, just like any sort of end result or any sort of medical issue, I feel like it's sort of the end result of multiple other factors, which are often well beyond the control of your OR or my exam room or the hospital. And a lot of these sort of social determinants of health, which we know impact, you know, 80 to 90% of our health. And so this is a very, very challenging issue to sort of wrap our arms around and say, okay, this is the one thing which is going to fix this because it's just so many different things. And it really stems from a a much, much larger problem, the societal problem, essentially. So we probably won't solve it during this podcast, but maybe we'll at least raise some awareness, right? Um, So you alluded to this earlier. Tell us more about the statistics regarding, you know, maternal morbidity and mortality for our minority and our more vulnerable populations, uh, because those numbers are, are even worse, if my understanding is correct. Yeah, as I said before, although statistics and these general numbers that I threw out on you to all of the audience, uh, shows a general rates of mortality and morbidity event, morbid events within a given area. We know that these statistics are not equal in number across populations. Uh, our black and native pregnant folks in particular significantly, statistically significantly greater risk of morbidity and mortality all stages of pregnancy and throughout the postpartum period. And this is even when considering factors such as age, educational attainment, 
uh, considering all different variables that can contribute to poor health outcomes, regardless of this, Black and Native women continue to be the most significantly impacted. And as medicine continues to highlight is that race is not a marker of health or change in somebody within a different race is not automatically at a different health risk because of their skin tone. We see impacts of racism and policy that's impacted these populations that have contributed to poor health outcomes due to the way society has treated these patients. Um, in terms of a number speaking, maternal mortality itself has weighed heaviest on our Native women who have had rates that were 4.5 times higher than white women and then Black women who had rates of mortality that are 2.6 times that of white women. Why is this? Well, as you can imagine, what we talked about with the issue is it's multifactorial, but we see this semblance of institutionalized and systemic racism embedded throughout medicine and society. So looking at weathering the fatigue and physical response to this impact of racism on our patients. They are put in situations where the system victimizes them and impacts their health. There is actually evidence that shows that these patients are less likely to have their concerns heard and oh. so cdc has actually put forward a campaign called hear her campaign which provides education to providers as well as to patients regarding uh different concerns of morbid events so the most common morbid events after pregnancy or during pregnancy such as preeclampsia mental health issues mm. Uh, postpartum hemorrhage to really put the power in the patient's hand to advocate for themselves, but also reminding our healthcare team to listen to our patients um, as best as we can. Yeah, that's, I mean, something as simple as listening. And I, and I think a lot of times we sort of forget about that. We kind of get stuck in our daily routine or we, we as healthcare providers get burned out ourselves and we start to experience that, you know, moral injury and that, that chronic, um, chronic fatigue ourselves. I'm, I'm speaking to a first year resident. I shouldn't talk about fatigue. You're going to get mad at me. Um, but the, um, just something as simple as listening and and having patients feel heard. Cause you know, oftentimes patients will, you know, sometimes they they sort of over over concern or over worry, but a lot of times they will be the first ones to know there's something wrong than any lab tests in some situations, obviously. Tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about sort of the, the maternity care deserts specifically and how, you know, lack of access to um, obstetrical care in particularly rural areas. And I imagine part of it is with Native American folks that they live on a reservation. There's probably very limited access to, to medical care in those situations. How do those maternity deserts kind of play into this whole equation? Yeah, in terms of, you know, I just spoke on things that are directly impacted or factors that directly impact our patients that maybe potentially we can control, but there's other factors that we can't necessarily control on an individual level, which is those social determinants of health that mm -hmm. 
science and we as medicine are really shifting towards evaluating how this impacts the health of our patients, including transportation difficulties, uh, being able to attend visits, clean air, clean water, environmental impact you know, all of these different components outside of the clinical setting that impact the health and livelihood of our patients every day. Uh, we've also seen that with Roe versus Wade now overturned, there is the increased barriers to abortion for people of color uh, have also widely impacted the disparities in maternal and infant health. But I digress. In terms of the Maternal care deserts, we see that these are areas of broader social and economic factors that play a major role in health that address the intersection of race, gender, poverty, uh, and reproductive justice. So what is a maternity health desert or maternity care desert? What is this? Yeah. Uh, this is actually something that when I worked in Washington State, where I'm from, that I personally faced uh, with my community that lived on a reservation that I was working with. Mm-hmm. It is defined as an area which maternal health access is either limited or absent, either through the lack of services or barriers that our patients have in accessing this care. So it's defined by county or a geographic county, so to speak. So this is any county in the United States without either a hospital or a birth center offering obstetric care and without any obstetric providers. And most recent data in 2022 showed that 36%, so a little less than half, a little greater than one third, uh, were considered to be maternity care deserts. And that is a wild number to me that 30% of our population does not have access to maternity care. So again, I'm going to say that again, repeat that because it bears repeating. 36% of our nation lives in what is considered a maternal care desert. That is mind boggling. And I, I, I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. Sounds like that right there is probably a major challenge to to getting appropriate care and reducing negative outcomes, I imagine. Absolutely. And it's only getting worse, unfortunately. Within the past two years, the maternity care deserts are increasing by 2%, with two out of three of these deserts in rural counties. Only 7% of obstetric providers actually serve rural communities. Seven? Uh, zero, seven percent. Zero, seven. Wow. Zero, seven. Oh, my gosh. So, so I mean, I know you touched on the the Hear Her campaign. What what else are we trying to do? What else can be done to to address some of these challenges with patients? And then it sounds like access is probably even probably the, the biggest elephant in the room, so to speak, regarding this challenge. But again, I'm not an expert here. I, I defer to you. Yeah, and, and I'm not quite an expert. I've just, you know, I've done a lot of policy and very grateful for all of those who are working on this. Uh, and when I was working in the DC space about two years ago, and I've seen it continue now as we're really trying to find a plan to address all these issues, but it's so wide and encompassing that it can feel overwhelming. So really listening to the experts, listening to the patients, listening to a multidisciplinary team of nurse midwives, doulas, patient advocates, physicians, public health providers, seeing what different things we need to touch on to be able to address this issue. One area that we've seen with 
challenges, particularly in maternity care deserts, which are not only rural areas, but also some urban areas as well. They tend to be on, like our data, unfortunately, fall on racial lines with mm-hmm. more than a quarter or more than 25% of Native American babies and one in six Black babies born in areas with limited to no maternity care. Mm-hmm. And uh, these, these are impacting our Black and Brown communities. Yeah, how could it not? Yeah, so in terms of why this is happening or some of the main reasons for these closures, we're seeing, as everyone with COVID in particular, staffing issues, not having enough obstetricians or providers to serve these areas, nursing to be able to safely staff labor and delivery units that tend to safely staff labor and delivery units that are supposed to be one-to-one. In many cases, Mm -hmm. we don't have that ability. And additionally, a big one is low reimbursement for Medicaid. We see that in rural areas and these areas that are closing, a majority of the patients are Medicaid patients. And it's unlike some of the bigger hospitals where you have the offset of private pay, um, they don't have that in these hospitals leading to lack of funds, not enough payment for Medicaid, not enough funds for Medicaid to be able to sustain the cost of these units, which right. leads to closure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess this is kind of depressing. <laughs> what, what, so, so what the, the average physician listening to this podcast, you know, probably, you know, may or may not be aware of this issue, but is there anything specific that physicians can do broadly to help just regardless of their specialty or their area of practice? Or is there something specific that phys- physicians can do if they work or, or live in some of these underserved maternity care deserts? Yeah, the goal hopefully is not to make people depressed, but to really spark a fire under all folks, whether you're a physician, whether you're just listening in on this podcast to truly want to make a difference and help contribute to the solution. I think when we think of pregnant people, we think, okay, well, that's an OBGYN problem. Pregnant patients are all patients. Recently delivered patients are all patients. Regardless of your specialty, you will be working with somebody who has ever been pregnant or has ever delivered a child. And so this is something that you should care about as well. Everybody should care about this issue. So I hope uh, this inspires folks. In terms of what we can do, we need to approach this issue on multiple levels, at your local level, at your state level, at your national level. I think one way we can work as physicians who inherently have this respect and power and knowledge base is really getting involved with our local medical societies, state, national medical societies, Mm -hmm. uh, getting involved in the advocacy efforts and legislative efforts at all of these levels as well. Volunteering to be part of these maternal mortality review committees, looking at what your own hospital is doing how they are implementing things such as our AIM care bundles that look really statistically equalizing blood loss and different components of common morbid events to be able to approach and treat patients 
equitably. In terms of other things you can do, continue to educate yourself, continue to reach out to colleagues or folks within these areas. If you if you think about this, this has been an issue for a long time. There's likely folks that you know or within local areas who are already doing work on this, reaching out to them and seeing how you can contribute and utilize either your resources or your skill sets to approach uh, solutions that are already in place. And I think that really, if we work together and we get everybody passionate about this issue, we can make some headway in improving care for our patients. Very well said. You know, this is a, this is an issue that affects all of us, whether you, you once were a baby or you might have babies yourself, or you might know somebody who is pregnant or might be. So basically this literally affects all of us. And I think yeah. just raising awareness and, and, and being aware of it is probably the biggest hurdle. I think a lot of us face right now, because I think a lot of folks who, again, don't practice in the OB space are not aware of this. So yeah. thank you for enlightening us a little bit here. So last question before we go, because I know you have to get to bed because you have to get up again in like four hours to go back to the OR, right? What makes you most proud to be a physician? And what are, and again, because you're at the very beginning of your career, what are, what are some of your hopes and goals for your career? I think about this question quite often, especially as a resident when I'm running on little sleep and I'm thinking, oh, why did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> but truly the impact that I can make on my patient's lives, which I hope doesn't sound cheesy, but it truly is being able to, you know, whether immediately treat a patient's issue in the OR or see them in clinic and make them feel heard, even if I don't solve their issue right away, knowing that there's somebody who's listening, who's going to put all my effort into making their lives better one way or another, whether it's just providing a listening ear or referring them to somebody who can uh, really get their issue under control makes me realize that I can use my skills and my knowledge base to make society better and to be able to care for people in their most intimate times. And I hope that some of my goals for my career is to be able to continue this wherever I go and impact my community at large. Uh, I think as physicians, we not only have a responsibility to do this amazing work in the clinic where we're able to, or the OR, where we're able to impact our patients here, but also utilize that outside, whether it be utilizing your skills in state advocacy, federal advocacy, doing local efforts, being involved in management uh, at the hospital level or community outreach. I think that my goal is that we can continue to be leaders both inside the hospital and outside the hospital. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and raising awareness uh, regarding this hidden public health crisis and good luck with the rest of your day, let alone the rest of your week and your, your residency. And we look forward to uh, all the amazing work you're going to do in the future. Thanks again. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week's podcast, but thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you found this an important topic to address. Please let us know if you have feedback. We're always open to it and we're happy to take any requests or suggestions into account. All right, stay safe and stay healthy and talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Physicians Weekly. 
Physicians Weekly offers in-depth interviews with the most highly respected experts in the medical community. Physicians Weekly is produced in collaboration with Medicom Medical Publishers and Physicians Weekly. 